This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So again, big good morning. Great to have have all you folks here today and very special service ahead. And we're really looking at this question. Simple question. How do we find purpose? How do we find purpose in our lives? I think a lot of people, as as the famous author Henry David Thoreau said, you know, live lives of quiet desperation, sort of just casting around, unable to find a purpose, unable to find a true north, unable to find a way to navigate in life. I love the way that Father Henry Nouwen puts it. He says, we act as if we were simply dropped down into creation and have to decide how to entertain ourselves until we die. And I was just thinking, how much time do I spend wondering how am I going to entertain myself for the day? I do that a lot, but we were sent into the world by God. Once we start living our lives with that conviction, we will soon know what we were sent to do. The idea of moving our lives beyond just entertainment into actual engagement in the ways that God touches our hearts in terms of how to engage. And it's real simple. Like, God doesn't leave it some big mystery. One of my favorite lines of the Bible is this one. This is from Matthew 25. They were wondering, like, how do we see God? How do we see this? How do we see religion? And Christ said, come, you who are blessed by my Father. Make your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And the next slide. For I was hungry, and he gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and he gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. I love that idea. I love the idea that where we find it is we find it as we move out there. We find our purpose as we move out there to serve. Service as best we can. Service as God gives us to see it. I love the quote, religion is of life. The life of religion is to do what's good. Religion integrated with life. And their very life is to go out and serve other people. It was really an honor a few weeks ago to get to sit down with Mike Reichenbach and get a chance to hear how he's living out that message of service to people in need. Mike went to East Stroudsburg University, and from there he went on to a roughly a nine-year career in the NFL. And I left that meeting with Mike thinking, this is a good man with a good message. Who's doing good things. And with that, I introduce our speaker for today, Mike Reichenbach. Thank you, Thank you Chuck. Um, it's great to be here. I thank you all for coming out today. Um, there's two, uh, in light of the great win that we just had, and I don't think it'll ever go away, the Philly fans, you never realize how much a sports team impacts a community until you're away from it, and you see the impact and the depth of how a sports team can in, can in, in impact a city and a community in so many ways. So there's two great questions that are always asked me since that great win. And the first one is, and I'm going to answer them for you today so you don't have to ask them, no, I don't know Carson Wentz. <laughs> and secondly, they say to me, are you still a fan? Are you happy they won the Super Bowl? I said, well, I'm not, I, I said, I kind of, I stopped being a fan when they stopped paying me. I said, because people forget that I was an employee, or I wasn't a fan. Um, and they say, well, are you happy they won the Super Bowl? And I go, well, 
I didn't get a ring and I didn't get a check. So I guess it's a, but it was great to see the, 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 the city and the impact and, and the things that happened there. But just to tell you a little bit about myself, uh, I'm originally raised in, in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, so I'm a local guy. Uh, my wife Lynn here, I'm married. Uh, I have three children. Um, and the reason I tell you that, um, I've been given the opportunity to have three great titles in this world. The first is husband, the second was father, and the third one was coach. Because those are the areas that I've had the greatest impact. You notice I didn't say NFL football player. And that's because um, I played into my ninth season uh, in the NFL, and I walked away after my ninth season. And so I lose my way, so because it's all the shots in the head. But uh, but God gave me the unique privilege of playing in the NFL, and it wasn't the fact that I got to play. It was that he allowed me to attain attain the highest position I could go to in my profession and find out that this isn't it. This wasn't what I was looking for. See, there was a deeper need and a deeper calling. Everyone, you know, the thing I remember about playing in the NFL is that everyone wanted to be me. That's all I ever heard. I wish I was you. And I was told from when I was a little kid that if you ever made it to the NFL, because I started playing football when I was eight years old, if you ever made it to the NFL, everything would be, you'd find everything out. You'd find all the answers. You'd be put, everything would come together and you would understand the meaning and purpose of life. But everybody wanted to be me. And it was interesting because at that time in my life, the things that I can remember is that every quality relationship in my life was destroyed. I was famous, I had a lot of people around me, but I was alone. I made a lot of money, but inside I was bankrupt. There was something missing. See, I had a deeper longing. You know, I have an inner city ministry where we minister to the young men and, the, and even to adult men. I have mentoring programs where I speak to men, men's groups, and I always say to them, I said, who are you? And they'll come back with, well, I'm a high school kid that plays football, or I'm a high school kid that plays basketball, plays in the band. The man will say, well, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a carpenter, I'm this. I'll say, no, that is what you do. I said, who are you? See, we've, we've grown up, um, I thought the greatest destiny that I had was to be in the NFL. But the greatest destiny I had was to know God. And the interesting thing is that the thing that I needed inside of me was a spiritual need. It wasn't a physical need. It wasn't about positions or possessions. It was about who I was inside. And it's interesting because we've become a generation or people that have lost their way. You know, uh, I, had a, I played with a friend that one time picked up, he wanted to start shooting, target shooting guns. And uh, one of the friends that I know, uh, that played with us, went to see him one time. And as he went up to visit him at his house, he walked up and he had to walk past the barn. And as he was walking past the barn, he saw all these bullseyes on the barn, painted on the barn, and in the middle of the bullseye was a bullet hole. And he thought, wow, this guy got good pretty fast. He just started learning how to be a target shooter. So he walked up, knocked on the door. He said, hey, he says, tell me. How did you become such a great shooter in such a short amount of time? 
And he said, well, he says, what I do is I get the gun, I load it, I aim, I shoot. Wherever the hole is, he said, I paint the bullseye around it. See, and this is a picture of our lives. We have a a world that's in chaos. It's off target. But we paint these lives around this target and think, this is what life is all about. We let society and the culture dictate who we are, our identity, our purpose, and, and, and what our, you know, purpose in life is. Every man has two great needs. The security that he's loved and that his life has significance and impact. And the outcome of that is satisfaction and contentment. But the world is very easy to dictate to us what that looks like. Fame, fortune, wealth, power, control. And the interesting thing is, the Word of God says that man knows that there's a God, but we suppress the truth. It's built, it's wired into us because we were designed for a relationship with God. But without that, there's a vacuum inside of us that now can be defined by something external from us. The world is aggressive to tell us what love is, what success. It'll come to you every day and it'll knock on your door and tell you this is who you are and this is what life's purpose and plan for is for you. And the the Bible also says, the Word of God says that we already are in a relationship with God. Everyone says, well, you need a relationship with God. The Bible tells me we already are in a relationship with God. We're either in Adam in sin, we were created, or we're in Jesus in life. And as we suppress that truth, we go out looking for truth. See, what you have to understand is, we were, the original intention for us, was we were designed by God, created by God. We were placed in a perfect environment, a garden. And it was to have to be God's representative, his express image in the garden, represent him under authority and have dominion over the environment. To have dominion over that. And to what? To make it prosperous, productive, and to guard it. And in light of that, that great two great needs that we have, the security that we're loved, and that our life is significant and we can have impact, we had that in Christ. We had that in God. But what the other interpreter comes in, the enemy, and says, I have another plan. You can be like God. You can decide what's good and evil. You can decide what's right and wrong. You can have all of that. You can be God. And man said, I like that. So we wonder why we see, you know, each worldview that we have, wherever you come from, whatever background, however you perceive the world, however you interpret the world, however you respond to the world, is basically called your worldview. And that worldview has to answer four basic questions. Where did I come from? What is this life meaning and purpose about? How did everything end up the way it is today? And is there a better way? And so in light of that search, when, when, when God, when man said, I want that own ability to decide what's right and wrong, good and evil, he was cut off from God. God says sin entered the world. Sin separates. It brings into bondage. It separates us from what we originally intended for. Man had the original intention. God created him to be able to receive love, express love, but also to reject love. 
And so in light of that, all of our capacities were met. The significance of a good day's work to tend to the garden, to see beauty in the form of a creation created for man and his interaction with the world, the satisfaction of doing what's right. It was all met in God, every desire. Well, now in the fall, because sin separated man from God, that became a need. So we became more concerned about reputation, what man thinks. The hardest thing that I ask about these kids when I go to talk to them for change, even adults, older men, women, the hardest thing to change is because you're concerned about what the person next to you will think, how they'll perceive you, your reputation. The Bible tells me that man builds his life. I always talk to the kids, I say, when we're going to build something, what do you need? Good foundation. Well, the Word of God tells me that there's two types of men and women and two foundations. One that's built on the rock and one that's built on the sand. And the storms of life come to both. But the result of what happens to those houses that are being built is far different. The one that's built on the rock, on the, on the truth, stands. The one that's built on the sand is destroyed. The incredible thing that I found out it's going through my journey, and I'll tell you a little bit about more about it uh, with my limited time that I have, but um, what I found out is that each one of us is wired for greatness. We're called to be great. But there's two definitions of great. There's man's definition of great, and there's God's definition of great. Man's definition of great is based on possessions, position, wealth, fame, fortune. God's is based on something far different, being a servant. Jesus calls the disciples to himself, and he says, you know, the world will leverage control over you, the, 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 the powerful, the rich, the famous. They will press on you and, and, and the ones in charge will tell you what greatness looks like. He said, but in my economy, greatness is far different. It's to be a servant. And he said, and, and I'll give my life for the ransom of many. And so, so God created man to be great. There's a calling on our lives. Each one of us can say here, because I remember this, saying, what is life all about? What's the meaning of all this? Because once I made it to the NFL, I thought that would give me all the answers. And God gave me that privilege to find that this isn't it. So once I came to that place, when I said, what's this life all about? That's, that's, a, that's a, a calling of purpose, of meaning. It means you were wired for something greater than what you see before you each day. See, we were created in God's image to represent him in this lost world. The reason we don't find that calling is because it's linked nothing to nothing bigger than ourselves. In God's word, when he calls a man, it's always to a cause greater than him. And that's because he wants you to understand that every man that he brought said, I can't fight this battle. I can't defeat this foe. I can't face this giant. And what he said is, you can't, but I can. He calls us to a cause bigger than ourselves to help us and to realize that we were always meant to be, have, live a life dependent on him, not independent. That's the result of that is what you see in front of you every day in this world. And it's focused more on self. And 
the interesting thing is that a design thing as we were created is most effective when it fulfills the calling for which it was designed to do. Think of it like this. If you had a puzzle and you have the whole picture and all the pieces are put together, you see the picture. They all come together for a greater picture. Each piece has significance. If you take one of those pieces out and you set it aside over here, and it could be a nice color, it could look great, but apart from the bigger piece, it becomes, it loses its significance. And most of us live our lives that way as a, as a puzzle piece looking for significance and, and, and our identity and all these things. But all of these things is to tell you that you do have a calling and you do have a purpose for this life. The first is to call, be called to be saved, to be called out from what? The penalty of sin and death. The sin separates you from God. But God so loved the world that he came, he wrapped on human flesh to come and dwell amongst us to pay a debt we couldn't pay. And he did that because of the great love that he has for us. And so that first calling is to be, to be opened up to what your true calling is, to be restored to what you were originally designed to be. You know, my kids always wanted to, I thought they always wanted to play the piano. So I went out and uh, got a piano, this big old high back piano, and carried it in and did all this work, put it in, carried it in heavy, set it there, and that piano, not one of my children ever learned how to play it. I used that piano for a bookshelf, for to store things on, to, to move. I said, but it, but it never just did what it was designed to do, to play beautiful music. Each one of you has been designed to play that beautiful music. But see, we've set ourselves in our course is now more about not what we originally intended for, but we want to be happy and fulfilled. You see a whole life out there getting on this treadmill to find happiness, fulfillment, instead of what they were originally intended to do. And the world is, is aggressive to tell us what that is. So in the absence of God, the world will define that for you. And the thing is that that world that gives you all those opportunities to gain things is the same world that separates you from what you were originally designed for. My ninth season... Um, I was playing for the San Francisco 49ers. We had a chance to go to the Super Bowl. The 49ers were good at that time. And uh, it was my ninth season and had a chance to go to the Super Bowl. But I had one problem. I was a million dollars in debt. And that's because of the lifestyle that I led. Now you would sit here and say, wow, okay, you're a million dollars in debt, but you're a pro football player. You can earn the money, make it back. Pay the debt, get out of it. Here's the thing. I was walking away. You say, that's crazy. I talked to my agent at that time. I talked to my head coach. They said, don't walk away in debt. Play one more year. But see, I had a greater calling on my life. And I had come to know God is my Savior. And it changed everything. It told me who I was in my identity. It gave me my purpose for life. And I was able to walk away because I knew from that point forward my life would be built on the foundation of the rock. And God told me it was time to leave. He, he spoke into my heart, it's just time to go. I didn't know what he had ahead of me. I didn't know what was ahead. I knew there was debt. I knew there was challenges and trials. But I knew the one 
that had called me away. And I could trust him because he came and showed me who he was in the person of Jesus Christ. And it says we can have great hope in God through Jesus Christ. And so I was walking away. But you say, how did you end up here? And why were you walking away? It started when I was a little boy. In my home, no one knew uh, God was not in our home. Um, I had two good parents. I love them. They worked hard. My dad was a bricklayer. My mom, a homemaker and a, and a beautician, but they worked hard. But they were two kids raising kids. They got married at 17 and 19. So they were working through issues, and they had children right away. So yes, was it turbulent? Yeah, there was a lot of things going on there. There was um, alcohol, pornography, arguing, dysfunctional, a lot of things going on in my home that um, could have caused me to, to be a failure. The other thing was that I was a heavy little kid, and I was ostracized, made fun of. So I was very aware of my imperfections. I was aware of that I was different than everybody else. But I always wanted to, I saw the cool kids, I saw the ones that defined what, what life was all about, what, was, what I thought at that time, and I thought, how do I get to these kids? I can't bridge it because I look different than them. Well, the one thing came about, guess what? Football. See, bigger in football, if you don't know, bigger is better. So I put on that uniform, and even though I was that little kid that got made fun of all the time, now that I put that uniform on, I was accepted. As long as I performed, they said, oh, this kid can play. He's okay. I found that out that if I performed, and I could, that, that would get me acceptance. So football became much more to me than, a, than just a game. The other thing I found out that all of that pent-up aggression from being made fun of, all of those ridicules and, 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 and the, the cheap comments that I would get about being heavy and overweight, I could express those through the anger. So I started to learn that I could play angry and express that anger through football. Here's what happened. Football now became my identity, became who I was. It became my purpose. I knew if I could perform, I'd be accepted. I had a coach that uh, coached me as a Little League, is Coach Lizio. And I'm sure some of you who played football or been around Little League football, the coach is usually always the biggest guy. So, we're, you know, I used to think football was just you pick up the ball, you go out, you throw the ball around, you have some fun. You, if it gets too rough, you call timeout, you go get hot chocolate, and game's over. Well, my dad says to me, hey, do you want to play organized football? I said, oh, okay, sure. I, th- I thought I had my idea of football. I go out to the field. There's now 85 kids waiting. We're all standing around waiting for direction. So all of a sudden, this big monster truck pulls up, big old wheels. This man jumps out. He's all full of cement. He's got, like, sweats on and a sweatshirt, and he's all full of cement like he had been out working all day. And it had one word in the middle of his shirt, coach. So this must be the guy in charge. So he comes over, and he's a big, muscular guy, and his shirt was cut off here. And I thought he had a, he had a tattoo here, here, and I thought it was a, a tattoo of a sailboat because it looked like a little ship. Well, then he put his arm up like this and flexed his muscle, and it expanded. It was a battleship, and when he flexed his muscle, it would shoot the cannons off. So He was the man that was going to define now what football was. He told me football was a battle, and it was life, and there's the enemy across the field, and this and that. So now I, football had been redefined for me. And so now football became a bigger part of my life because I got accepted. 
There was times I didn't even like playing football, but I knew it's the only thing that set me apart. And as I went up in, in through the ranks of football, junior high and high school, all the guys that I hung with and, and, and that I got accepted into started to party, started to do, drink alcohol. I said, I'm an athlete, you know, I don't drink, but you know what? I don't want to be kicked out of fraternity, because why? Because I had two, two great needs, security that was love and significant, and my life had significance. Those two things now were being met by football. That became my identity, became my security, became my purpose. It determined who I was now. See, and that's the thing you have to understand. That when you're in that position, your external and your circumstances will always hold you hostage to who they think you should be. And so now as I went up, it required more of my time in the weight room, doing those things. Went to high school, uh, took more of my time and energies. I, I, I really didn't even start till my high school, senior year in high school. People say to me, I say, well, you must have been a star your whole way because you made it to the NFL. No. If, if you'd asked any of my coaches back then who would have made it from the NFL, out of all the guys they coached, not one of them would have said Mike Reichenbach. So I went on to college, and guess what? New situation, bigger guys, circumstance. What did I do? Fear and uncertainty. That little heavy kid that never was dealt with was still in there. See, I, would, I could tuck him way down and press him down, and then I'd put on a mask and become who everybody wanted me to be, perform, get accepted play football, party. It all became a way of life. I go to college, it was the same thing. Perform, I was accepted. So I went through my college career, my senior year, I made All-American. So I was one of the best linebackers, middle linebackers in the country. I never thought anything about it. This is the first time I thought about the NFL. They said, you might have a chance to get drafted. I started to look at it. I said, well, the draft came. I went through all the trainings, did all the combines, went to the runs. I didn't get drafted. So the first team that called me and offered me a signing bonus and offered me to come down was the Philadelphia Eagles. So I walked on. I was a free agent and walked into a situation now where these were men. This was their jobs, and they didn't like you as a rookie. So they didn't give you, there was no positive reinforcement. You, this was their job. They, they took it seriously. They didn't even let us get taped in the rooms with the, with the veterans. We had to go outside um, and do all of that. So, again, fear and uncertainty. What did I do? What are the things that I knew how to do? Perform, accept it, and once I was accepted, the partying came with it. That was my lifestyle. It was, it was defined by it, and, and it's incredible that how I look back now um, and realize how much my external circumstances dictated to me who I was. My six years, I played with the Philadelphia Eagles um, and left there and went two more years. Because the great thing about the NFL is that you want to make the team. Then once you make the team, you want to start. Then once you start, you want to win. You want to go to the Super Bowl. So I went on a quest to get to the Super Bowl. But with that was this dysfunctional life. Partying, you know, five, six, seven days a week. I, I would go out sometimes nights before games. I would sneak out of the hotel and hit the town and come back and go right to the, right to the stadium. This is how bad it got for me. And so when the people would come up to me and go, I wish I was you, I would say, no, you don't. You don't know what I struggle with. You don't know who I am. You see the image of who I am. It's interesting because in most professional locker rooms, those are the most insecure guys you ever see. Why? Because everything in their life is based on performance. 
And see, some of us today do the same things. Our identity is in what we do. Our purpose in life is, is what we can accomplish, what people think of us, performance, and all of those things. So as I felt, kept going down this path, there was a greater need and a greater longing to be relinked with a God. There was a spiritual nature that wasn't being fed. See, the, the, the physical body has appetites to eat, to have water, you know, different appetites that the body needs that we feed. But the spirit has, has appetites too. It has things that, but we never feed those things. So I was longing for this deeper, so I just kept filling with more of, I'd party a little more, and I'd go out to different things, and I would go after different events and different circumstances to just make my life meaningful and purposeful. And I was with the Miami Dolphins, and by that time, I was going out sometimes two days in a row. And one night, I fell asleep at the wheel and crashed and went through the windshield of a car. My face got all cut up, had to get stitches, should have died. The car was bent up. The, 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 the engine was in the front seat. Wheel was bent over, went through the windshield, came back through, all cut up. Had to get the hundreds and hundreds of stitches in my face. And see what God was allowing me to do to say, listen, you can keep going down this path, but this is what awaits you. It's destruction and death. And so God began to draw me. And I went to a Bible study. And a guy, I was, I was in the weight room. The, a guy said to me, you know, you need to hear the word of God. I said, nah, I'll fix myself. I got it. I got it. But then I went to the Bible study, and I heard about this God that loved me, that created me in his image, and he had a plan and a purpose for my life. And he loved me so much that he went to the cross and paid the price to this, for the sin. The penalty that I deserved, he took on so that I could be forgiven. And I thought, no one's loved me that much. I didn't think anybody could forgive me. And there was this little boy sitting there, and, and he was uh, sitting in the back. And I was, of course, in the back seat, in the back corner, because I didn't want anybody to know who I was, because I was a professional football player. You know, we didn't need anything. And this little kid kept looking back at me, and I'm thinking, oh, he knows who I am. So he comes back after the event, and he says to me, he was 13 years old, and this is encouragement for you young people. He said, boy, it must be great to be an NFL football player. And I said, oh, let me tell you that. And I started to tell him about all the stuff that I was going through, this 13-year-old boy. And he looked at me, and he put his finger in my face. He said, you know what you need, Mr. Regenbach? You need Jesus. And here was a kid that I found out that he, I befriended him. He was a card-collecting guy, and he had leukemia. And he used to, uh, I used to go down to the hospitals and visit him, and uh, he'd be getting bone marrow transplant, chemotherapy, painful stuff. And I'd go down and say to the nurses, how's he doing? She said, he's a champion. He goes around the floor telling the kids that there's a God that loves them, that don't give up. Jesus loves you. He professed the gospel to him. He was going through painful stuff. And I want to read you something he wrote. He said, I lay me down in a peaceful sleep with the memories of my dreams I keep of Jesus Christ and his flock of sheep. Thinking of him dying, I begin to weep. Jesus gave that all that he could give, so in heaven with God we all could live. Before he died, we all were slaves. I just want to say that Jesus saves. He came into this world without a bed. He didn't have a crown for his tiny head. Mary cuddled him when he would cry, but she couldn't cuddle him when he was going to die. Jesus the Lord hung on that tree to make a better life for you and me. He was so weary and tired, he wanted to rest.
The soldiers didn't care. They pierced a sword through his chest. He tried to tame this world so wild, forgiving all sins of every man, woman, and child. Jesus Christ wiped away sin. If you believe in him, you will surely win. He wrote this when he was 15 years old, just right before he passed away from leukemia. He was facing the greatest battle that all of us, any of us can face. 100 people born, 100 people die. 86 people per minute, 5,000 per hour, pass into eternity. He was facing that, but he had an assurance in his eyes that I didn't have. And he said to me before he passed away, he said, you know, Mike, he said, the thing I'd regret is that I won't be able to tell people about God, my Savior. I said, Richie, I will. I'll pick that mantle up. I'll tell him about you, and I'll tell him about your Savior. See, we each come to those crisis moments in our lives when we have to make a decision. When the truth stands right before us, the truth is the objective standard that we measure reality. What is that truth today? Because most of it is subjective. I hear a lot of subjective, opinionated truths out there. But there's one truth that stands the time of test and time of, uh, of test and, and eternity. That Jesus Christ so loved the world that he came and gave his only begotten son. So today... In my ninth season, I walked away. I didn't find what I wanted. I, find what I, I found what I needed. And he restored me to what I had been originally intended for. And the security that I get each day that I'm loved is from him, that he paid such a price for my life. The significance is that he calls me unto sanctification to be a part of his plan to redeem a lost world to make a difference, to make an impact. How did he do that? I thought it was all over. I walked away from football, and I went, all right, Lord, football was the problem. So I walked away, and I said, Lord, you got to grip my heart. Take, take control of my life. Take all of me. And you know what he said to me? Football's not the problem. As long as I know it's given unto me, I'll redeem it, bless it, and give it back to you. So he put it on my heart to start a ministry at the church that we attend, Calvary Chapel, down the, down the road. We started a school, and we started a football team to use the thing that I thought was the problem, a gift that God had given me to show me greater things that now could be used for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. And for 21 years, we raised up godly men to go out and make a difference in the world. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, your job, your gifts, your talents, that is your ministry. That is your mission field. It's not just the mundane of getting up every day and existing and going forth into that job or that thing, endeavor for you house moms. Every day you get up, if you give that to him, he'll redefine it. He'll bless it. He will anoint it, and he'll give it back to you. And you'll see an impact in the people and the lives that you live around you. And everyone will be richer, including you. So I want to thank you for your time today. Thank you for listening. And I just pray this, that gift, you have it, you've received it, and you're walking forth in the power of it. Thank you. Uh, so I want to just I want to just close today's service just with great gratitude. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Thank you again, Mike. Really appreciate it. Thank you.
And may you all find this. May you all find your purpose in life knowing that God asks us this. What are we called out of? What are we called into? This is our, this is our tribe, our posse down at Kensington right now. They just sent this picture in. They're down there serving right now. Whatever it is for you. Whatever it is for you, may God bless that path. So please join me in a closing prayer. So Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for the words that Mike offered. And help us, Lord, to live into your spirit, you in whom we live and breathe and have our being. And Lord, call us, call us to that purpose of life. Something outside of ourselves, something beyond just entertainment, something that is that spark that you ignite within us. And thank you, Lord, for being a loving God, a gracious God, who holds us and calls us home. Be with us in this week ahead. What is our purpose in life? To serve. Help us to find that and live into it more and more this coming week. In your name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 